My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. We are recording live from the 10th annual EMCC National Conference in Ireland. We have heard some fascinating insights from our speakers today. And our final speaker is a mystery guest who has many insights and energy to share. Our topic today is the evolution of coaching through the pandemic, where we'll be sharing our insights, learnings, and trends in coaching and mentoring. We'll be inviting the audience to share their insights into the chat function. So let's introduce our mystery guest. She is a work behaviorist, international keynote speaker, executive empowerment and performance coach, and has delivered over 250 coaching sessions during the pandemic alone. She is a hybrid and virtual workplace expert, the Dublin Solo Business winner 2021 she is hugely energetic which is a great finish the conference as we said before and i have a great privilege to call her my friend uh our mystery guest will you reveal themselves hello it's fiona buckley hello fiona talk about being perfectly poised when the pandemic broke you had a master's a couple of years ago specializing in hybrid teams and remote working. All right, so we'll be talking about that there. And I'm going to start off, if it's okay with you, Fiona, in relation to coaching pre-pandemic, how much coaching did you do online? <laughs> um, probably not as much as we are doing now, but I did do virtual coaching well before the pandemic, going back a number of years. But it would have been more of the rare. It would have been maybe one a week, if that's that's probably what it was. One a week. That's all. That is all. That's not very much. Um, but with the thesis that you mentioned, William, I, I, I very much focused on the whole area of professional isolation and what it's like for people working from home in line with relationships with colleagues and co-workers and things like that. So that, I think, will be very relevant in terms of our discussion today. But yeah, one a week, not very much. I was similar. I, I'd say it was around 10% of my coaching business, and it was only international clients uh, at that. So we're talking about topics and trends here. So obviously we were talking before the podcast, there was a huge uplift in the demand for our coaching services there. So I'm interested to hear from you then, um, Fiona, is what were the kind of topics and trends that emerging? So you talked about remote isolation. What were the other topics that emerged? 
Yeah. And I could probably write a book alone, which is probably in me in relation to the types of issues that came up during the pandemic. Um, you know, let's just talk about pre-pandemic first for a second, William, because the regular same issues are going to come up regardless of what's going on. Issues at manager, challenging issues at work, all those things. But what, some of the main things that came up during pandemic was boundaries. So a lot of things around boundaries, which led to things like resilience, which you've seen today, and burnout and things like that. But boundaries, setting themselves between the work and the home environment. Goals, and obviously as all as coaches and as mentors, we're always talking about goals. And for a lot of individuals during the lockdown, one of the things that I was saying is what's important is task motivation and goal motivation. So a lot of people were really struggling with, I actually am so overwhelmed with personal and professional stuff. I've lost complete sight of what I should be doing. So a lot of the areas I focused on was kind of drilling it back down to what's your immediate goal? And you'll probably see this yourself, William, a lot of people with long-term goal plans all got completely sidelined. So in January, when people were making their New Year's resolutions, which I don't agree with, by the way, um, were making all those resolutions, all their plans got completely sucker punched in March, 2020. So a lot of people felt derailed, destabilized, some people thrived, I'm one of them, okay? Some people really thrived in this environment, but three quarters, say, of the people that I was coaching were really struggling in this space. Um, I think some other things were around sense of purpose, meanings, all those things. A lot of people had so much self-reflection time during the pandemic, they were actually saying to themselves, is this the right job for me? And if you look at some of the big tech companies where some of the coaching I was doing, a lot of their extrinsic motivation had been taken away from them. So think of all the nice online uh, you know, chefs and things and activities that were around the office. All of a sudden, all of those extrinsic things were removed and you're back at home on your own, just in your own head every day. So it, our head either kind of helped or hindered us, I think, during this particular time. So a lot of those kind of things were, were, were the areas where I really kind of had to really dig in deep with people. I'm going to ask you a little bit more for our listeners here. You talk about task motivation and goal motivation. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had Brian Tracy, the expert on goal setting on earlier on. Can you tell our listeners what is it between task motivation and goal motivation? What's the difference there, Fiona? Yeah. And where I'm coming from with this, William, is more about validation as well. So a lot of people at the end of their workday, when they're working during the pandemic, found it very hard to self-validate themselves because Mm. the days were just melting into each other and they wanted to differentiate those. They felt when they closed their lap down at the end of the day, what did I achieve today, both personally and professionally? So what I was even bringing down was to micro goals and tasks. So for example, in one particular day, I was saying to people, you need to focus on three to five personal tasks and three to five work-related tasks that you're going to do today. And that was all around helping burnout and self-care as well. So three to five personal things could have been everything from getting your 10,000 steps done, eating well, drinking two liters of water and not two liters of wine. Um, You know, all those little tips and tricks that we needed to look after ourselves during the pandemic. And then the goals, everyone was so overwhelmed with work, with the tasks that were coming in to break it down, not to-do lists, but break it down into specific things. So that on a daily basis, a weekly basis, and a monthly basis, because what I found personally, and as you said at the start, I coached over 250 people just during the pandemic, which is a lot in relation to that. A lot of them really struggled with being in the now and being present and just trying to see what's in front of them. So in a lot of cases, I had to bring people back just to be present and focus on tomorrow, focus on next week in terms of that control in relation to that. 
So we were, were lucky to drink those two liters of wine between us, I think, in some of our Zoom parties yeah. uh, there. But we, we might talk about that uh, later on. And you were talking about that sense of purpose and that reflective time of what the pandemic brings. And it brought me back to a memory of where you hear about research that often comes out after Christmas, that Christmas Day is the biggest day for when people are looking at recruiting websites to change jobs. And we're in that reflective uh, space there. And the pandemic then was just one hugely intense reflective piece. People were reflecting on their relationship with, with work, uh, with their partners, with their career. Um, and these, I suppose, wake-up calls were happening as Caroline Hughes was talking about. She had her, her lucky stroke today. So with that in mind then, you know, and you, I know you're going to be talking about on today's show, uh, congratulations on that on Monday. So we'll see you live on TV. What are the things then that we need to start thinking about from the hybrid uh, world then? What are the, the challenges that are going to, people are facing? Yeah, and I'm already starting to coach a lot around uh, people looking at the hybrid model and what that's going to mean. And from what I've seen a lot in this space at the moment, is there's a lot of anxiety happening with people around this hybrid model. Um, I'm working with about 30 organizations at the moment with helping them with hybrid working with in terms of consulting and training. And obviously the spin-off for coaching with that. So there's a lot of anxiety because we have a long time to consider it. If you look back to the pandemic when it happened in March 2020, we had no time to plan. Everybody was just, eh, you're back at home now, off you go. Uh, and there was no planning and no foresight into it. Now we've got a lot of time to start thinking about how it's going to impact us. So one of the first things we need to look at is minimizing that anxiety. And most of the organizations I'm working with are all been very good about it. They're not forcing you have to come to work on certain days. They're kind of getting into it slowly. And a lot of people for the rest of the year are being very organic about going back. January, from what I see, is the big kind of milestone where people are going to put a more formal hybrid process in place for people. So I think what we need to do from kind of a mentoring or a coaching perspective is make sure the person is really taking that personal responsibility for themselves and saying, okay, here's what I need to do to set myself up for success both personally and professionally in this type of environment. And, you know, from a productivity and performance and well-being and motivation perspective, that's what we really need to look at. So I'm asking a lot of people, if you're going to go back and do a hybrid, which I'm a big fan of, by the way, um, because we need that connection with people. If you're going to go back and do that hybrid model, what does success look like to you? Okay, and bring that right back to the individual to drive that in terms of what does it look like for them? Because that's what lots of companies seem to be doing out there. So I think that's the question I would ask quite a lot for for individuals out there at the moment. And a lot of them go, I don't know. So we have to dig that little bit deeper to help them know what they want out of the situation. So at the end of the day, like professional isolation, because I studied it as well, it came very much into coaching during the pandemic, the lack of connection lack of visibility, um, people feeling their networks have completely collapsed, all those things are there. So it's quite an exciting time now, I think, with things opening up again and being able to meet that person for a coffee that you might not have seen in two years. So I'm trying to bring a lot of energy into those sessions to kind of say, let's relook at that positive side of things. What are you going to do in that positive way to look at the positive stuff? Because unfortunately, as we all know, we're sometimes kind of predisposed to think more negative or constructively. And I'm really trying to bring that positivity back for individuals as well. I'm curious then, and I'm sure our listeners are curious, are you coaching individuals or are you coaching um, managers to help individuals back into the workplace or is it a bit of both? 
it's a bit of both, but most of my coaching is through corporate. So it could be part of a leadership program and yeah. part of your 15 leaders as part of that. But also there could be individuals in the company as well that are being sent on coaching. I always don't like that term. <laughs> um, yeah. You need a coach. And that always brings the, the, the kind of uh, heckles up with some people. But for some, it's individuals. And in fairness, I've had to refer them back to an EAP or counselling in many, many cases during the pandemic because they were struggling with a lot of personal things as we well know there's that fine line that can happen between coaching and counseling and all those things so it, i did a lot of referring back um and contracting out of those kind of situations because it just didn't fit with coaching and in terms of the coaching fit i was reflecting back on some of my experiences and we talked about you know kathy casey was talking about sometimes conflicts in teams and uh, leadership and the challenges that emerge with that in mind then I was thinking about one clients that I had and they were talking about where they had junior staff that were not confident in you know handing in their work they were working remotely wasn't sure where they engaged or motivated wasn't sure quite how to get the work done to be productive trying to manage the balance then of, you know, taking it easy them, but also getting their work done. And because he's shielding the team, then he's getting in trouble with his own peers to go, where's our work? Why hasn't it been done? Have you come across situations like that or advice, you know, I'm sure um, you have. Every day, William. <laughs> yeah. Every day. And I think leaders and managers had so much on their shoulders during the mm. pandemic. They were so concerned and worried for their employees. They probably, their own personal stuff going on in the background as well, and then trying to do their day job. So I think leaders and managers have had an awful lot on their shoulders. And I think some of them have kind of managed to get through all this. And especially during the summer, I think it's a great period to take stock and take time off and hopefully get a holiday in and things like that. But I allude a lot of managers and leaders to like champagne bottles um, bobbing around at the moment. And some of them are waiting to blow, right? And that's how I feel that's happening. They haven't really processed anything that's gone on over the last two years. They're bobbing up and down, they're waiting to nearly, and they haven't kind of held out. And I've seen some of them in coaching kind of process those kind of things. So I, I'm feeling a lot of what we need to do is reflect. Okay, reflect on those tears because we are not the same people coming out of the pandemic as we were going in. Every single person, in my opinion, has changed in some way. So it's very important that we reflect. It's very important we recharge and then refocus as we go into this autumn period. And I've, I've had leaders and managers just cry on coaching sessions where they're just so overwhelmed and so worried about everybody that they just don't know what to do. And, you know, it's to kind of go with them on that journey and help them box things off and process. I've seen an awful lot of that and it's st I'm still seeing it. And I'm very conscious we are in the mentoring and coaching space here. And I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, how much do you do that directive coaching, that mentoring side versus the reflective side? I'm very, I'm, I'm very much have have Judy Starr in my thoughts where that directive coaching is, you know, you, you don't want to give people the quick fix or the hack, but sometimes you have to meet people where they're at. And it's, it's lovely that we had Rob Cook talking about like, be yourself and, you know, just be at ease with yourself. And moving on then into that, what's your experience then 
in that with with that in mind that directive versus reflective absolutely piece. really good question William because I've found my kind of coaching style has evolved a bit during the pandemic and I've had to dip into more of a blended approach approach with some mentoring and coaching with of course their permission and letting them know what I'm doing because in some cases they've been blatantly saying I, I am stuck here and leaders who are very time poor have said I need a bit of direction here as well so I think I've had to jump in a little bit of that always with their permission and um, just to get the best result out of that coaching session for them so I think it depends on the clients, of course. It depends on the coach, how comfortable we are doing that. But I think for me personally, I've had to adopt a little bit more of that directive style and blend that mentoring in. And speaking of the topic of mentoring, as you know, William, I'm very pro-mentoring and I teach a lot of mentoring masterclasses um, for organizations as well. I've personally seen a sore and a massive surge of mentoring programs in organizations and you know a lot of organic ones but putting a little bit more formality around them and reverse mentoring I've seen really grown as well during the pandemic with organizations I've often seen it where um, onboarding programs virtual onboarding programs have been done and they want people to reverse back um, and mentor them and how that process has gone on new joiners or younger people more junior employees starting in the organization so I, I think mentoring is very, very important. And going back to my kind of thesis and my studies, one of the biggest common denominators for minimizing professional isolation was having a proper robust mentoring program in the organization. So with 65 organizations that I studied that were virtually working or hybrid working, every single company came back and said when they didn't have a mentoring program, professional isolation soared through the organization. So I just wanted to mention that in terms of the podcast as well today is that it's very important. Two, two clients of mine said they were stopping their mentoring program during the pandemic. I was like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. You can't do that. You can't do that. And I had to really educate them as to why you can't do that. So yeah, anyone here who, who is working in a corporate and is teetering with the mentoring, do it. It's really important. That helps then with kind of loss onboarding and I think there's a new niche now isn't there with with hybrid is well here's what works in terms of hybrid because if we're faced with that two-hour commute that I witnessed last Monday I was like how do people do this every day there is going to be that challenge or pushback so how do we keep the right people and the the, the numbers the stats are there that there's 40 percent of the workforce with leaving intentions so that talent flight will have huge negative and corrosive impacts there because the, the people who remain there will become bottlenecks for whoever come in is we don't know how to get things done around here. Yeah. And I think what's happening there is there's a lot of kind of buddy systems, planned buddy peer systems mm. for people who are going to be in the office versus people who stay at home just so they have that connection and link back in, can hear the office gossip, uh, can link back into kind of camaraderie. But what's worrying is the whole diversity kind of thing as well, William, is that. Uh, from studies I've seen and from people I've been talking to myself, there's more women that are now saying, I want to stay working remotely. And yeah. that's a general statement, but it's on foot of some things I've experienced with conversations and coaching and also studies that have come out there that there's a greater percentage of women wanting to stay at home. And we're already trying to fight that battle as it is um, yeah. in terms of that. Also, from an age profile, more younger people are wanting to return back to the office too, which I'm very pro, but they obviously need to learn from more experienced colleagues as well in terms of that. And actually going back to your very first question about kind of what topics have come up, 
cultural dilution came out as a very big topic for leaders coaching where um, they were concerned about the team culture or the organizational culture getting diluted or dissipating during the pandemic. And one of another kind of useful fact for people to know is if you're normally used to physically working with people, so anyone who had, uh, was working physically in a location with someone pre-pandemic, after 12 months, that relationship starts to reduce significantly. And 12 months is well past, obviously, as we know now, we're kind of going, coming into more than 24 months in March. So again, people's relationships, their network, their advocates, all the people that they work with are really starting to kind of reduce down. And that's a big trend that I saw with a lot of leaders and managers with their coaching in terms of that. And that affects team dynamics and all those things too. Great gains in terms of uh, equality and gender balance there. And we're at risk of losing all of that. And we're at great risk with people reflecting on their careers. Yeah, people, you know, they were talking about having their wake up moments and having more harmony, as Reza was talking about earlier on, the global EMC uh, president. And I'm really concerned about that, is that we'll have a whole layer of uh, senior female leaders just not progress and maybe step back to do more caring duties or, you know, and, and we're in the sandwich generation now where we're caring for uh, children and elderly parents. So there's many challenges that are going on there. And that's a real concern Apart from mentoring then, what else can we do to stem that and to encourage, yeah. I suppose, people not to take those options? I think what's a really important thing is to encourage that visibility stuff as well. Mm. And as you know, William, I do a lot of women in leadership programs as well. And I've coached yeah. a lot of senior women over the pandemic. And a lot of them have said, maybe I should just take a step back. That's the common frequent answer I've been getting because they've just gotten so overwhelmed. And we've been trying to work on simplification and simplifying things rather than trying to attack at all. So they don't have to take that step back. But it is a worrying concern. Um, imposter syndrome obviously has soared during the pandemic as well. And that is very much linked to being at home, being in our heads too much, our inner critic attacking a lot of things, not having your colleagues to you know, bounce things off, different personalities. All these things have contributed to imposter syndrome, increasing that little bit more. And as many people probably know, listening to this, women are more prone to imposter syndrome and inner critic issues than, than the male. Um, and that's not a general, that's a lot of academia will, will back that up too. So there's things stacked against us that we have to be very mindful of and promoting advocacy, sponsorship in organizations, really encouraging people to really work on their network even if they stay at home, that's what's going to be really important. So advocacy, sponsorship, being allies to other people as well. Because what I'm seeing a lot of is people, you know, coming to meetings still with cameras off, starting to really hibernate behind the screen. Maybe their ideas didn't get, uh, you know, kind of jumped on in a meeting. So they said, you know what, I'm not going to do it next week. A lot of these kind of trends are happening and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's bad habits we get into. And then what ha is happening is we just start retracting and retreating that little bit more. I've also heard a worrying concern from someone recently is that we're coming into a resignation era of mass resignations because people aren't going to be happy with this hybrid policy that might be put in play, or they're not happy with that psychological contract that has played out um, over the pandemic as well. And, you know, trust might have eroded, all those kind of things. 
And obviously our trust with our immediate leader and manager is very important with the trust of the overall organization. So if we feel we haven't had that, or we've had that breach of psychological contract, that's going to affect our overall relationship with the organization. And some people feel that they don't fit in with the organization. They don't have that person organization fit anymore as a result of this. So these are more kind of coming things that are coming out of the pandemic now. And I kind of call them post-pandemic coaching issues because these are things we have to pick up on at this particular time of year in relation to that. So again, I have a lot of people saying, oh, I'm going to hang on to the end of the year for my bonus. And then the minute, as you said, William, at Christmas, around those times when we start thinking about things, is January going to be the resignation era? Now, that's a very opinionated question mark at the end. I don't have the answer, but I think it's certainly something worth thinking about. I think you're, you're on to something. A lot of people are talking about March you know, uh, a May coming back in stage phases. And this is where the certainty comes back in is let's use these couple of months then to to get back into the workplace and see what that looks like. And that's where coaching and mentoring will be a huge benefit. And I'm also hearing, uh, you know, from my own clients and from other coaches is that whole aspect of leadership or the lack of leadership and again, sometimes it's that vulnerability piece. Are they, and it's trying to find that balance with leadership, isn't it? Are they a mess or are they, are they so rigid that they've got the tone wrong? You know, and have you heard of the, these things, you know, where you're just like, oh, read the room, people. Yeah, and that's why the authentic leader has become so more important at the moment is just be really authentic. And the ripple effect of somebody who's not leading at the moment is cascading or the butterfly effect as it causes across the team. Mm. It's absolutely huge. Like physically in an office, that's always a big thing. But on the virtual kind of landscape or hybrid landscape, it is going to become more difficult. And think about that leader who has a hybrid meeting to run, right? They're sitting there, three people are in the office and then there could be five on the screen, right? That's a massive dynamic. You really need a degree in psychology sometimes to navigate these kind of issues. So again, there's more been layered on leaders and managers' shoulders how to get the most out of those meetings. And those five people on the screen, they're probably not even there anyway. <laughs> you know, the pictures are off and they're eating breakfast or they're off watching Netflix, you know, whatever it is. And I'm jesting, but this is a real problem. This is happening out there. So that's more, I think, a big leadership concern is how we're going to make sure we're still on top of our game with all these things and lead at the same time and do our job. So I think this is definitely an issue. I think it's an exciting time to be a coach, to be honest. It's an exciting time to be a mentor. And that's pretty from a nerd perspective, from, from my perspective. It's an incredibly exciting time to be in this area. And as coaches, it's such a rich area to be in. I just, I'm, I'm in love with the profession at the moment. I'm going to place my mediation hat on, and it relates to coaching through conflict coaching. What I have discovered through my practice is any conflict or tensions out there were magnified um, exponentially by the pandemic. So anything that moved online, a lot of miscommunications, misunderstandings that probably would have been sorted out if you were face to face, you could sort it out quickly due to the fact that we don't have access to people immediately then you know knock on people's door and in we go that creates huge challenges and conflicts between people and teams have you come across these scenarios or what's your experiences there 
Yeah, every week, William, something like this rears its head in coaching or in training or discussions. And there is a conflict, con sorry, there's a concept called swift trust, okay? It's a virtual trust that we deploy. So last March, 2020, most of us who were forced to work from home quite immediately with no plan had to deploy that concept of swift trust. We use it in virtual organizations all the time. We're, we're all in this situation now. We kind of have to trust each other to get by. But again, yeah. like those relationships, that swift trust has been eroded now and has been replaced with anything that was there originally. So like you're saying, William, with conflict, if a conflict issue was there anyway, a loudspeaker's on that now. Any issue that was there pre-pandemic has been multiplied or has a loudspeaker on it now, and it's getting potentially worse. So a fault line in a team, a fault line between a manager and a leader, and a conflict I would consider to be a fault line. So I kind of often allude a fault line like those cracks in the ceiling or walls. I don't know if I have many of them around my house, but we, when you have a line there, you have to get the polyfiller out or else it's, uh, it's going to get worse it's the same with that. If we've been ignoring those fault lines that are happening with managers and their teams or within a team, we're in for a big issue. And the problem is, William, all those issues are going to come back into that hybrid environment. They're going to resurface in terms of that. So I think we need to be very careful. I think there's been a, a massive surge of conflict avoidance in, in my experience during the pandemic. A lot of issues that needed to be addressed just weren't because they said, look, we've enough going on and none of us expected this to go on so long. They were all brushed under the carpet. But as you well know, in your conflict experience, William, they'll all come out at some point. So I think that's a concern that's potentially waiting for conflict that is dormant and it's there and waiting to come out. I'm going to segue here using Billy Byrne. He was talking about ethical uh, behaviours there. And it's really about behaviours in teams, isn't it? What's driving people's behaviors and I was listening to Billy then I came up with this this aspect is you are the savior of your own behavior uh, which I might coin that so it's recorded now here anyways just in case uh, somebody wants to steal that uh, tough so uh, with that in mind do team coaching that is another aspect that we need to focus on what are the behaviors in the team what works best are you doing any work around that at the moment I, I know I am I'm just curious about you yeah, um, I, I, that's probably one of the big, biggest thing I'm booked up with in the autumn mm. is team coaching and team dynamic sessions. Yeah. And I'll give you a couple of nuggets of information here that might be useful for the listeners. So one thing is um, fault lines within teams. So I'm going to give you an example of what is the biggest fault line I've come across is that if, for example, back when the schools closed and the creches closed and all that, where children were at home, there can potentially be a fault line between team members of those that had kids or have kids and those that don't have kids because maybe we couldn't commit to meetings, deadlines, because we couldn't bring our full self to work because of that. And that created a fault line where people who maybe didn't have kids picked up the slack. And of course, it was understandable, right? We get that. But they've held on to it. And what they've seen is an unbalance, not redress within the team or no recognition given to that. Now, I've come across that five times in two weeks. Another fault line with teams that I've seen recently is that, um, you know, the concept social loafing. For those that don't know what it is, if anyone remembers uh, uh, college assignments where they were in groups and someone took the foot off the gas because someone else was really good at something, that's what we call social loafing. You kind of take your foot off the gas. We've seen quite a bit of that in some teams during the pandemic. For whatever reason, some people could have been burnt out. Some might have had a bereavement. Some had COVID, whatever the issue. That, again, teams have held on to it. So there are examples of two 
fault lines that I've seen quite a bit of. And what's very kind of hot at the moment is team dynamic sessions, team brand sessions. So reinventing and reinvigorating your team brand, because that really comes into visibility and being visible what you want to be known for in the organization. Uh, team charters, so reconnecting. And um, a lot of the kind of team sessions I'm seeing are called reconnection or team dynamics. And again, reconnecting with each other. What do we want to stop, start and continue as we come back into that hybrid model or what is our charter so things like on team charters that i'm seeing are trust honesty respect what are we contracting to do again as a team and do we need to talk about anything that's actually happened over the last two years because we have changed and in some cases our value systems have changed in relation to that so again very exciting time to be running team stuff and being involved in teams because i think it's a massive thing to do and leaders really have to take this on because if they don't as i always say if you don't look after your team brand someone else will brand you and you don't want to become that team who does nothing in the organization so i think it's a very interesting time for teams Speaking of teams, um, there was a theme today in terms of resilience and connecting with, with self. And, you know, it's good to talk to yourself. Uh, and we had Lindsay Nicholson talking about her life-changing moment earlier on about that car crash and that addictive uh, to business, you know, where people started to really reflect on the strain on personal and work relationships. Uh, also, you know, we talked about Caroline, as I said before, Caroline Hughes talking about, you know, those micro habits and that techno stress. Uh, and she talked about her her lucky stroke. And, you know, we, we Joe uh, Bailey talked about, you know, the principles of re- resilience. What, what I found really interesting as well today in terms of that theme of resilience was Rob Cook started to talk about life transitions are really hard. We went through a life transition and he said that his identity crashed. It was easier, he said, to be shot at. And this brings me to the whole notion then of self-care. For coaches then, you know, what is that we need to look out for? You know, we had those conversations where uh, people were talking today is that we have to start doing the work ourselves. So, you know, We've mentoring, we've coaching, coach supervision is a really important part to self-care, isn't it? Absolutely. And more so in the pandemic, I think, because again, our clients, our coaching clients have gone through so much. We have to be very, very, very careful from a self-care perspective. And I'm fortunate I have a very good supervisor and who has really helped me during the pandemic just to realign thoughts on certain things. And, you know, one of the things that they came up with all about that recontracting piece is very important in the coach coachee relationship that because we could end up straying off issues very quickly and that's I think what has happened in in the pandemic is there's so much going on with our coaching clients it's very important that we have to recontract quite regularly with them so you know that there's not as much going on but also you know I have been genuinely worried coming out of coaching conversations where people have been very upset. I'll give you one particular story of an anonymous person. What happened is uh, there was a lady came on for coaching and she had five kids in the background. (laughs) They were in different rooms (laughs) with the coaching conversation, but her husband came in halfway during the coaching session, obviously online. And he said to me, he came up to the camera screen and said, oh, it's you again. (laughs) He said to me, right? He said, "Uh, you're, you're my wife's coach. And I said, yes, I am. And I was just about to kind of say, okay, uh, go away in a nice way. And he said, I don't think we need any more coaching. She's too busy. And he disconnected her Zoom call, right? Now, that was a real 
whoa moment where what do I do that's never happened to me before so I had that real what do I do now as a coach so I obviously emailed her and I texted her to say do you want to continue with the session or maybe it's best we reconvene for another time but that really played in my mind last night because we wouldn't obviously have that in physical uh, situation I hope not um yeah. but that was a real wow that's never happened to me before so I've had a couple of wow that's never happened to me before coach moments uh, during the pandemic where I'm like I'm scratching my brain on how do I deal with this um and a lot more emotion and I would have thought in a virtual context maybe people wouldn't be as forthcoming with emotions because we're mm-hmm. online and that was one trend that I did that I, I I saw that people are still very free with giving emotions on that. And I've had people come on and you know, we've 27 emotions we can often often experience in, in a in a work environment, and they just brought themselves to coaching. So I think the commitment level has been still very high and very strong with people. We're so used to working virtually anyway. It's the, the platform now I feel is irrelevant. I don't know if you've seen that yourself. I have. I've witnessed that. My take on it is that because you're at home, you're psychologically safe or physically safe most of the time, apart from that, um, I suppose, uh, issue that you talked about there, which is hugely concerning when you see that. So uh, and, and that's that's scary for you. Never, never mind the poor lady that was was there. I've had the exact same experience where because people are in their own homes, they're comfortable the, the guard is down and they will express a lot more than they normally would. I'm finding it. my coaching sections are a lot more effective because we build that swift trust, as you're talking about, that uh, rapid rapport quite quickly. And the contracting then uh, at the start really helps for that. I'm going to invite our audience here to some questions shortly. Before we do so, I would like to hear from you, Fiona, what are the kind of little mishaps and anecdotes there? People turning up late, dogs jumping on the screen. You know, what what were the the kind of interesting ones? Not not naming people, obviously. Of course. Well, apart from husbands disconnecting um, and yeah. <laughs> coaching sessions, which was kind of my big one that I saw. And um, for me, a lot of it has just been, as you say, dogs and animals and kids, and not that they're the same thing. <laughs> Uh, all those kind of things happening in the background um, and, you know, really getting people to focus on that session, turning their emails off, the amount of people that were doing coaching and they were still sidetracked on phones beeping and things like that. You'd obviously see that when you're in person, all that stuff would be away. So really encouraging them, maybe doing some breath work at the start of the, the session to allow that focus time. Another thing that was very difficult for people was they were sandwiching the coaching in between two big meetings and work. And that's the thing I found a real topical thing, because if you were doing a physical coaching session, you would often be on site in their place or they might be on site with you. They've had that time to download whatever has gone on in advance. But that's what I found was a big one is that they were sandwiching the coaching between two big kind of work related meetings and they weren't allowing themselves to get into that zone in terms of that. So a lot of what I was doing and still do now for the next couple of months is to reiterate when we're booking that coaching session, make sure you've got some time before and after to process some of this stuff and not go into another manic uh, meeting in terms of that. I had the exact same experiences. There were people there and you nearly wasted 15, 20 minutes in the conversation for them to actually land into the conversation. And what I started doing as part of my meeting invite, 
is to call that there's to make time for yourself to you know uh manage you know effectively manage people and this is where andy ashford is is how do you effectively manage uh team coaching uh online do you want to handle that first and then i'll, I'll come in since you're our guest Sure. Um, and the team coaching on online, again, I think a lot of it starts before the coaching session, during the coaching coaching session, after the coaching session. And it's the same for training initiatives as well. It's not just about the session. So the prep work and the landing themselves in that meeting are incredibly important. Maybe setting that charter up in advance of the team coaching session as well. So that's what I would strongly encourage is the before, during and after. Also, the pacing is incredibly important in these sessions. And that's physically or virtually we obviously have to be very tuned into the personality of the group that we're looking at with the team coaching one of the biggest issues I've come across in team coaching and indeed individual coaching has been the more introverted personality saying that we're not getting enough airspace virtually that the airspace has been sucked out by some of more extroverted colleagues now that battle as we well know William is always going to be in the classroom or it's going to be in in physical or in virtual but it's more difficult virtual because then people just start to cash out actually people introverts feel more uncomfortable interrupting on a virtual meeting than they do in a physical meeting which is interesting. So we have to be very mindful of the space, the airspace in team coaching virtually. So William, maybe you want to come in on some of this. I, yeah, I agree with a lot of the points that you've made there. It is about priming people in terms of what to expect. They're not hitting the session cold. What I found work that you work four to five minute bursts, you, get, you take plenty of breaks, so 15, 20 minute breaks. Also what I found helpful was I use a digital uh, whiteboard. So I, you know, mimic um, and take notes there. So it's a bit like we're in, in um, I suppose, the real world. What, what do you call it? Face-to-face, is it? Real world. Uh, again, what I've, what I've noticed that's really helpful is plenty of breakout rooms. And again, exactly what you would do in normal face-to-face uh, work. Uh, we have another question coming in from Neve uh, Twifford here. You mentioned doing in-person set potentially uh, in the client's place of work. How have you found that in terms of richness of the session? If emotions come up, there's a risk of them being suppressed as the client has to face their colleagues straight after. I've had this, Fiona, I'm sure you had as well. Yeah, this is really interesting. And, And like what you said, William, I think the richness of the sessions because people feel psychologically safe at home hasn't even even increased the richness of that coaching session. I still uh, remember coaching sessions physically where they're worried they're going to be overheard or they're worried there's a recording device in the center of the office and, you know, hearing them in terms of that. And I I do, and or going out the door and there's a tissue shoveled up their sleeve and they're kind of sniffing coming out of a session. Um, You know, so definitely I think the richness online, which we might have thought before that, has been absolutely amazing. People have really opened up. Partly it's because I think coaching has never been more important than it is now because we've had so much on our plates as well. They're delighted to have that independent person to talk with, to try and box some things off. But to answer that question, I think the richness has even gotten better. What do you think, William? Do you agree? I do agree. And it is about that that place of work. I often prefer people to come to my own office, as you can see in my background here, and the reason is it creates that space for people to reflect beforehand, process afterwards. And again, if the tears do appear, then that they 
they come up and that's healthy to express those uh, emotions. So for me, I'm a big fan of either online where it's completely that psychological safety is there or in, or in, in your own workspace or, or whatever. The client space, I, I push back a little bit about that. And again, it's a bit like what people say, you do you do what's what's comfortable you're comfortable with. Neil Gabby has a question here, Fiona. If it's appropriate to share, what were the specific signs you saw that indicated you should refer so many coaches back to EAP or counseling? I've had this as well. I can answer this as well, Fiona. Yeah, like for this, like you know, when someone gets upset, that's never an issue for them to refer back because that's just an emotion that they're dealing with. But if they're bringing a lot of past historical or personal things in, for me, I don't focus on that type of coaching at all. I'm very much executive empowerment and performance coaching. So if I find a lot of past stuff or things that they haven't dealt with that are coming way outside of the workplace or things that are potentially things like burnout, which is a medical condition at the end of the day. Those are the kind of things that I would have referred back in because they're going outside of the realm or the contracting or the boundaries of coaching. And, and William, if you want to tag onto that, feel free. Yeah, I, I in a previous life, I did a lot of work with regard to suicide prevention. I also trained as a counselor, so I'm quite knowledgeable what would be deemed suitable for coaching and what's not. So if there's certain issues that are coming up, I'm kind of going, okay, this is not my area of expertise. If there's other trauma that I'm hearing coming up or some form of, say, you're talking about, you know, that lady there, domestic violence, you know, different things like that this is like a red flag to say, okay, am I the best person equipped to do this? Uh, again, the other thing is, do I have the emotional strength to do this? I think that's something we need to call ourselves on uh, as well. So if you're going too much into a space where you're not the right person to help this person move on, I think that's, for me, is the way to, to refer people back to EAP. And I would call that out at the very start of my contracting piece anyways, uh, Neil, so I'd be very clear in that, that I would call that out. So it gives me a kind of a way to highlight this. And it's easy for me then to signpost or refer people to say, actually, this is not my area of expertise. We can pause for right now. And off we go. Fiona. I think uh, just to come back in on that, William, as well, I think that's been incredibly important, the contracting stage, mm. because I often start my sessions, you know, during the pandemic and even now, but there's a lot on people's plates. There's a lot on. We're trying to process a lot of information. If I feel that we're steering into a section where it doesn't really belong in that coaching sphere, you know, with your permission, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to say, maybe this is better dealt with in, in a certain other forum and I will help you with that. And I've, I've always kind of advised or asked in advance with those companies, is there an EAP? I've always lined it up to know these kind of informations before we go into those kind of coaching sessions as well. So again, it's going back to that ever important contracting phase, as you rightly say, William. And in my uh, coaching agreement or contract, I would follow certain ethics and I call them out. And clearly then I establish boundaries there. And there's actually a heading on boundaries so everybody is clear what we're we're entering into and when we need to pause and when we need to continue. Orla Sherlock has quoted Nancy Klein, which I'm a fan of. Fiona, thanks for such. <laughs> you can take that one then if you love yeah. it. Yeah. 
Fiona, thanks for such an interesting insight into your experiences in coaching. In terms of team coaching and ensuring people's voices are heard, especially with introverts, have you any thoughts on using Nancy Klein's time to think method of facilitating sessions? Yeah, if you want to start with that one, yeah, you start with that one, I can jump in. I think that the Nancy Klein method, even though I'm, how should I say, I haven't used it for quite a while, I think it is very effective. I think any approach order that you take has to be context specific. Is it the right approach for the right team at the right time? I would always change my approach depending on the needs of the person in front of me, whether it's a team, whether it's uh, an individual. So that's my take on it that I wouldn't obviously use it all the time. And I don't use anything like you'll see behind me here of a, a, a Lego head. So I, I practice serious uh, Lego play, which I know uh, Ev is interested in. She was she's going to write something up on that in terms of her coaching experience. We, we'll get her to talk about that later on. So they're my thoughts on that is is use what's the right tool at the right time. Uh, so thanks for that, uh, Orla. Would you like to, to comment on that, Fiona? No, I, I'd agree with yourself, William. There's so many tools that we can use in both individual coaching and frameworks and models. Yeah. It's about knowing what they are, the pros and cons, and seeing does it fit the actual group and the team dynamics. So I'm familiar with it. I'm a fan of it, but it's all about the group. So for example, Fabio uses Mural, which yeah. is a wonderful way to get introverts uh, and who have that preference then to engage in team activities get their points across and especially younger people who are more introversion in nature type into text they're still commuting still getting their thoughts across and this is where what we're doing right now is using the chat function so there's many ways to facilitate that so i'd say just i suppose there's a many tools and applications open to yourselves uh, you can do that uh, let me see brona Brogan has, hi Fiona, great session. Thanks to you and William. Can you provide any insights on how to address passive resistors within teams from a leadership perspective? And we're always going to have a portion of people that may be resistors in terms of this. And I think the pandemic has brought those kind of people out. When we are resistors, it's so much easier to not um, to hide behind the screen, isn't it? It's so much easier when you're physically there, it's harder. So for passive resistors, I always try and get under the skin a bit of what's the real trigger point or nature of their resistance. And that is the key thing one-on-one um, before any of the kind of team sessions as well. And often what I ask a resistor um, or someone who's very passive is, can I ask you, what was the best part of your week and why this week? And it's a very pointed question. And I also ask them, what was the most challenging or worst part of your technique and why? And it's called the best and worst. And it's a great kind of thing to use with resistors because what you get back is the top and tail of what's really going on with them. If you just ask them how things are, they're going to give you the usual Irish response and grand or I'm fine, I'm just getting on with it. But that top and tail response gets opens up the kind of questioning dialogue to find out where the real resistance is good. And remember, the last thing I'll say is resistance isn't always bad. Resistance means something is happening, but resistance can be overt or covert, which means it can be overt and obvious where they're talking about it, or covert resistance is passive resistance where they're not telling you what's going on. It's going to come out in some shape or form. So we have to really dig a bit deeper through good questioning one-on-one to find out what's that real covert resistance. 
What great insights there from the very talented and knowledgeable Fiona Buckley. To find out more about Fiona, check out FionaBuckley.com. Well, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to Fabio Grassi and all the team at EMCC Ireland for inviting me to record a live episode of the Workplace Podcast at this year's 10th annual conference. Thank you to my audience for listening and all your wonderful questions to the chat function. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.